You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It is wonderful to be back, Owen, to kick off part two of our list of money and investing mistakes to avoid. So if you haven't gone and listened to part one that we released earlier this week, I would highly recommend doing so Mm -hmm. because we'll refer to a few things we mentioned during the episode. And there's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, we talked about quite a few different things. Uh, Probably the highlights for me were people not understanding what they're investing in. It's probably one big mistake that people make alongside not having any type of plan or a journal or anything whatsoever. Um, But today we've got a whole new round of five things, Kate. I think you wanted to get us started with a quote. Yes, I wanted to include a quote that was not a Warren Buffett quote because... Mm. You've mentioned that a lot, but from our friend who doesn't think he's our friend, but you know, it's a one way relationship here, Morgan Housel. And he said, Volatility in share investing, I've inserted that in brackets, is the price of admission. The prize inside are superior long term returns. You have to pay the price to get the returns. Many aren't. Yeah. So many people don't even go into the stock market. They don't put up with that ups and the ups and downs of the stock market yeah. and get the returns. And seeing that you did challenge me on my Buffett authority, he does have this other great idea around shares are very risky in the short term, but in the long term, they're very risky not to own because, and Morgan had a fantastic chart about of this a few years ago um, that looked at like the long-term returns of the stock market in the United States. And it showed basically that in any period after 10 years, you're almost guaranteed, like historically speaking, not in the future, but historically, 
you're almost guaranteed a, a positive return. Um, and any 20-year period, you're guaranteed an even better positive return. And so no matter what period, as long as you just bought the S&P 500 or the IVV ETF equivalent, you would have done well. The asterisk here is it's a diversified portfolio. It's not one individual company because yes. you could invest in a single company today that actually doesn't exist in 40 years' time. Yeah. And yeah. many of them don't last that long. No, they don't indeed. So, um, yeah, I think this quote from Morgan House was great for short-term thinking and like to make you understand that, yes, you might take a few knocks each day or each week or each month in the stock market, but over the long term, it's where the best returns come from. So it's actually riskier not to invest in it. Um, okay, so we, we did cover a few things, one to five in the first session. In this session, uh, we've got a separate set of five. And speaking of uh, owning individual things and me coming out with this grand statement <laughs> about long-term returns, this, the mistake that people make at number six is that assuming that every asset, every investment always goes up, Kate. Because it doesn't. Yeah. It's, but why? I thought they'd always went up. No. Well, sometimes companies just aren't great. Yeah. There yeah. can be bad companies. There can be companies that people just don't want their products and services anymore and they're not able to or don't want to innovate and adapt to the changing environment that they're in. Mm. There can be asset classes that perform quite poorly or countries that their stock markets perform quite poorly for years at yeah. a time. Well, Japanese, the classic example, Japanese stock market went sideways for I think it was more than a decade. The Australian stock market, if you didn't include dividends, went sideways for about that. Uh, maybe even a little bit longer. Uh, and there are periods like, I think it was in the early 2000s in the United States where the stock market went sideways for five or so years. Uh, so these definitely happen. Uh, but then there are instances where stocks go out of business, like companies go out of business. Um, there are instances where ETFs, you just pick the wrong one. And or you pick a thematic that's, ETF that's what I'm thinking at of, the thematic. very top of yeah. the hype cycle. That's why those are definitely more risky than those bottom draw kind of core ETFs that we talk about a lot. And so... Yeah, not everything goes up. I think a lot of people have found that out over the past few years, Kate. A lot of new investors that got into the stock market in the first few years were really, really good and now not so good. I've got some friends who have been investors in the stock market for probably five or 10 years, uh, well into their 30s, made careers out of being investors, and they're now questioning the whole thing. They question everything that they've learned over those 10 or so years. And I said to them, yeah, no, this is actually, this is what the stock market really is. This is where things don't always go. This is this is where you make your money. Um, but when you're in it, it's hard to see it that way. Yeah. And in terms of what do we do with that, with the knowledge that not every company survives or not every market or country or asset class goes up, not a, even not in the timeframes that you're hoping it will, we can diversify and we can invest yeah. in more than one company and more than one country stock market and more than one type of investment. So we could invest in individual businesses, but we could also invest in property and real estate. We could invest in bonds. We can put some money in cash. We mm. can diversify more globally than just the company around the corner. Yeah, I think a lot of people assume that what you have in front of you right now is the best it can get. And then things come out of nowhere and kind of change that. Like, Imagine if you were thinking of buying, say, like Google shares, like Alphabet is the company, but imagine if you were thinking of buying Google shares, two years ago, you would have thought, unstoppable business, nothing can slow this thing down. Fast forward to today, and now people use ChatGPT for a lot of their searching and answers to queries, right? Is that going to go away? Probably not. And there's more of those models popping up every day now. 
So like that is an instance of where things change very quickly. So if you bet the whole house on Google, um, I don't think Google's going away, by the way, but um, if you bet the whole house mm. on it, then maybe something that you couldn't even imagine changes. Yeah. And that happens so often in investing. So as you said, you just want some, a portfolio that doesn't break. Yeah, and Google's an example of a company that is internally diversified. They're not just relying on search engine. They've got yeah. people use Google for their maps, for their emails, for their advertisements. For the Google Doc that we're reading off. Yeah, for Google Docs. Yeah. There we go. There's yeah. lots of other tools. So you want to be like Google and diversify your investment portfolio. Yeah, absolutely you do. And by the way, when I say reading off a Google Doc, we just have dot points. We don't actually read a script <laughs> or anything like this. I think some people think that we do, but we definitely don't. Um, okay, so number seven is looking too often at performance, Kate. It's the easiest thing to do when you're a new investor, but also more experienced. I find people do this when they just roll over into retirement as well. They look at their super balance. I thought you were going to say roll times. over in bed and look at their brokerage account. but Oh, maybe I'm guessing a lot of people do. I think maybe I've done this in the past. I don't know. Um, it's more likely Twitter or something like that where I, I get my frills these days. But um, people check it way too often. Yeah, and it does impact your emotions and your ability to see long term. Mm. And the fact that many investors, and we've done it in the past, I do it a lot less now, but used to look at our brokerage accounts every day because they're so accessible on your phone and you see things going up one second, down the next second. You can see second by second the price of your mm. investment is changing and it can feel very exciting, but it can also get you hooked on the emotions and the ups and downs of your investment and stop you thinking about, hey, I wrote that long-term investment plan. I wrote down these mm. are the investments I want to be in. I'm going to invest on a monthly basis, a quarterly basis, and this is what I'm going to do when volatility enters my sphere of knowledge. But mm. that was a very weird way to describe <laughs> volatility <laughs> when I enter when we enter a time of volatility. Yeah, I think um, I, I like the sphere. I like. It. <laughs> I don't know where I'm sphere of influence. I don't know. Maybe it's I'm talking more about the news. Yeah, when well, all those scary news headlines sort of get into your psyche and then freak you out and make you question, am I doing the right thing by investing? Should I yeah. pull out of investing and just be someone who puts money in a cash savings account? You know, um, for all the talk of long-term investing, like when we talk on the show, we talk about long-term returns and that's like five, 10 years plus, right? But uh, in the very first investors podcast I ever recorded, uh, I was a guy called Wayne Peters, and this was like the first podcast, I, literally the first interview that was ever was recorded. Um, he said that people expect long-term returns, but measure short-term results. And so this idea that we, we, we tell people, you know, you got to invest like three years, absolute minimum, hopefully seven to 10 years, right? Yet we measure monthly or daily results. Yeah. And then we, we make the investment and we're looking at it tomorrow going, did I make the right decision? And yeah. suddenly we're thinking in a 24-hour period or a month period instead of we actually made that investment with the intention that we're going to be invested for three, five, ten years. A lot of us are really lazy thinkers when it comes to this sort of stuff too, Kate. Like we're very easily influenced. So we have, we read someone in the news and then we and so the negative bias is already in our head, which so we're prone to confirmation bias once we've got in that head. Then we log into our brokerage account. Then we see the full, okay, two pieces of confirming evidence. Now I've subconsciously, I have already placed more emphasis on negative results and negative headlines. Even if the next thing, the third thing that I read is positive, those first two things, I'm going it's going to mean that I have lesser value on the positive thing. And these types of things creep into our heads oh so easily. 
And most of us can't stop it. We can only be aware of it if you go by uh, Daniel Kahneman's work. And I think for the most part, what this means is that it's better just to shut it off. Yeah. Just just shut it off. Take the brokerage app off your phone if yeah. you can't look at it with some distance. You yeah. can't look at it with reason rather than emotion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, even unsubscribing from alerts. So things like the AFR popping news alerts onto your phone. Yeah, if that, like 5 a.m. I'm like, oh. <laughs> if that is going to affect your health and well-being, well, maybe you unsubscribe from them. Yeah. Sorry, AFR, but it's true. Yeah. Well, um, any news alert. Yeah, yeah. It could be CNBC <laughs> or Bloomberg or any, any thing like them. that. But you want to be aware of what's going on. So if the interest rates go up and that's impacting your home loan and you're going to have to start making high repayments. You want to know that because you're going to have to make sure that there's room in your budget for that. So you don't want to have yeah. your head in the sand completely. But if it's just every single piece of news information possible, what what's happening in the world economically and what's happening in the stock market, you don't really need all that information. If you're investing for a five to 10 year time frame and you've chosen your core portfolio, you've automated what you can, you've written down some rules, you don't need all that extra information because that's not going to change your day-to-day decision-making. No, definitely not. Um, So speaking of feeding the brain with negativity and short-term influence, another thing that people get stuck in is this idea of a get-rich-quick scheme. Charlie Munger tells us to take away the quick and we'll probably be fine, but everyone wants to do it quickly, Kate. They want to get rich. They want it now. They don't want to wait. Um, How is this a mistake? I think everyone knows, but flesh it out a bit. Yes, Often we get stuck in that mindset that we want the thing now. We yeah. want, we don't want to delay gratification and we want the result overnight. And it happens with everything from maybe a project we're working on to getting fit to um, starting a new course at uni. You just want the end result now. But the thing is, a lot of good things take time. And so with investing, if you can learn to enjoy the process and be happy with the the journey rather than just focusing on that destination. Because if we get too caught up with the destination of, I want to have a million dollars and be financially independent, what can I do to make that happen as quickly as possible? I'm going to take every scheme I see on the internet. If someone promises me a 100% return on my portfolio this year, I'm going to put all my money with them. And that's often where we come unstuck because we make decisions that are not reasonable If we actually looked at some data, if we did some Mm -hmm. research, we'd see that, okay, well, how are they promising 100% return on my portfolio? That doesn't seem that reasonable. What is actually going on beneath the surface? Is it just someone over-promising or is it something more nefarious and they're actually going to siphon your money off overseas (laughs) and you're never going to see it again? So I think it's like we've talked about the motivators of greed and fear before, when it comes to our money and that can often lead us down a bad path. Yeah, it does indeed. I think like, I'm just trying to think like anyone that offers you a guaranteed return in investing, you should just run away from. The only thing that's close to guaranteed is um, term deposit. the term deposit at an approved bank. So only certain banks in Australia, but nothing else is guaranteed, like literally nothing. So anyone, any ad, there's so many on the internet that you can come across that would make you feel that way. It is completely wrong. And they know what they're doing and they know the emotions they're playing on. And when you see advertisements saying this stock will double your portfolio overnight, they know the emotions they're playing on. So you need to be aware of that as an investor because they know that most of us want to speed up our investing journey. Like even in the back of my mind, if you said to me, you could reach your financial goals tomorrow or you could reach them in 10 years, 
and there'd be no risk to you whatsoever, you'd probably take tomorrow because that would mean you have a lot more choices, a lot more freedom, a lot more options immediately. But Mm. at the end of the day, that's not the case. And people don't have those overnight successes. Even the entrepreneurs that sell their businesses for millions of dollars, they've been working on that in the the spare room for years and years before you hear about it. And so you just mm. got to keep in mind, you need to be a bit realistic that you can build wealth and you can get rich. And we've even done podcasts with that name, but it, get rich slowly. And mm. as long as you keep that in the back of your mind, that'll hopefully stop you chasing things that just aren't realistic. Yeah. Just look at the fire community. They do a great job of educating people on how you actually do it. It takes like a bit of short-term pain for long-term gain in, in, in many instances. So, um, yeah, this is what I mentioned before. Like, it's a pretty lazy way to think. And the thing that makes these ideas, like these schemes, like this hot stock or that particular analyst says this or um, I listen to that person in the newspaper or this forum, the thing that makes you think that it works is that it makes you feel like you're the intelligent one. And I think a lot of people that know what a get-rich-quick get scheme is are the ones that are very humble they're the ones that assume that they don't actually know and they're not the smartest. I've never met a good investor who said that their intelligence was the reason that they were they're a good investor. Like I've never met anyone that said that actually. I haven't met Jim Simons from the US who's like a PhD genius, but I ha- still to this day haven't met anyone. Yeah. No one professes that and yet they're the people that are the best investors. So who knows? Maybe there are there are there. But, but I think this is one mistake that you're just going to have to keep battling. There's no yeah overcoming it it. and it happens in all areas of our lives like a lot of times we think we want the quick solution but the quick solution just isn't going to be the right one no in the first uh part of this uh, little video and podcast uh recording kate we mentioned that uh you know it's really important to have a strategy and sometimes you can you can do a bit of a spring clean if you need to like write your ship and get on whatever strategy that's right for you but um, we've got here that giving in too soon is a risk that people kind of, you know, they just give up and they give in too soon and that's one of the big risks and mistakes that they face. Yeah, you might have written out a perfect plan. You've got your core ETF portfolio set up. You've set up your automation and then suddenly the market falls 10% and you think oh boy, everything is going to fall apart. You mm. think you've made the wrong decision. You think you made the wrong call and you just decide to scrap the strategy, sell everything and just not be an investor anymore. And that is a big mistake and that is a mistake many people make and we kind of get where that's coming from. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, to be honest with you, I have, I, I think investing is a learning journey and I, mm. would have, I think you and me and anyone else that has been investing for a little while will say like it's okay to try things and it's okay to figure out what doesn't work. Just make those mistakes quite small financially. Uh, I've been through a few instances where I have redone my strategy uh, and now I've got probably the simplest of all the strategies that I've ever pursued, which is that that core ETF portfolio. Um, And then I've got my individual stocks around the outside, nothing major. Like I make the core my focus now. Um, But it took me a few trials of other things to get to that, to be honest. And the world's kind of shifted over the past 10 years since I've been investing. So times do change, Mm. but we don't want you to go and buy all these stocks because you think they're, you've subscribed to this newsletter service or something because you think that's a good idea and then in six months you've got another good idea. Like put in the time and just truly understand. Like we talk about, the reason we talk about ETFs and building a court portfolio out of that is not because it should be everything that you do. It's actually just because 
that is probably the best plan B that we've come yep. across uh, from any kind of way of investing. That's probably the, the easiest for the result yeah. that you get. And you also have to be fair to yourself. So if you put into a plan and you're like, it needs to have five to 10 years to make an impact on my wealth, but then you're measuring the success of the plan you put into place on a one month time frame. That's yeah. not very fair to you. You can't suddenly say I did everything wrong because you're measuring something that needed a long time frame to work against a very short time period where the market could have done True. anything and you don't have control over the market, but you have control over those investing decisions and the plan you put into place. So just remember what time frames you're comparing against. Yeah. And when we look, speaking of comparisons, we talk about like superannuation funds. That's something that people think, oh, to switch super funds. Um, yes, but the principal way that people do it is they go like to a comparison website and they go, oh, that one, the Australian super one's done better than the rest one. I'll just go with that one. Not really thinking that, oh, that was only one year of results or that was only two years of results. At absolute minimum, you need to be looking at three years, super funds or any type of investment, I'd say. And um, when you, there's, there's a lot more to it than that, but yeah. I just want to draw that out because a lot of people kind of just, they look at their performance, which was the previous mistake. Then they go, okay, well, how do I make another decision? Or I'll look at performance again, but to make an investment, double whammy of mistakes. Yeah. And they know we're going to read left to right and we take more attention to what we see on the left-hand side of the page. So they put the one month or the most positive returns possible yeah. in that time frame. So we look at that first and we often don't look all the way out to since yeah. inception or the 10-year returns or the five-year returns of our super funds. Absolutely. So I've heard of some fund managers actually just not reporting the results and making like on the performance page, make people go into the reports so they have to actually look for the bad results. Um, <laughs> and because, again, because people tend to be like lazy, lazy intellectually when it comes to these things, um, we're just like, ah, not worth it. We'll just assume it's all good and move on. Yeah. So you need to be looking at your super fund or any other super fund you're researching with a long-term horizon as well. You want to see what have they done over the past 10 years, not just what's happened over the last 30 days, because that mm -hmm. might not be anything to do with them. It might just be what the market's been up to. Yeah. Yep. Uh, number 10, lucky number 10. Lucky number 10. Is investing without keeping records and doing the work. We spent a lot of the first few years of this podcast just educating people on investing and all these types of things and how to get in and what this means and what that means. And then we got to a point, Kate, where we're like, well, we haven't actually really talked about like share registries. Yes. We haven't talked about tax. Admin is an important part of the journey. Yeah. And it's a step that I used to leave out. Yeah. I didn't a lot of really do. think about it. And then uh, I started amassing a pile of unopened envelopes on my desk and realized. I had to take some action. Yeah. And snails were eating my letters in the post box. So I just uh, <laughs> I decided that I needed to go in and update everything. So when you make an investment in Australia, if you buy an individual share or an ETF, you will have a share registry and they're the people that do all of the fun admin for the company or ETF they do behind indeed. the scenes. So the company's names like Computer Share, Link Market Services and Boardroom are some of the biggest. So if you buy an ETF, they'll send you a letter or an email saying, this is our share registry and you set up an account with them and you can change things like your address, your bank account details if you want to get paid if, you, if the company or ETF issues a dividend, mm -hmm. you want to know where that's going. Uh, you can also opt in if it's available to a dividend reinvestment plan so you can get additional shares or units in a company instead of having the dividend paid to your bank account. 
all these sort of things, you need to keep records. And when you make purchases, so if you're buying an ETF on multiple occasions over many years, you want to keep records of the date you made that purchase and the price you purchased that share or ETF for. Uh, and this, you could just use a simple Google sheet for this. I use ShareSite. We're not mm-hmm. affiliated with them, but I do pay for that to help me keep track of all my investments so I don't lose lose oversight of anything or any taxable event that it's I currently need to free report. for under 10 holdings. Yes, but I had some murmurings in the online communities. They'd remove some of the reports that people used ah, for the free account. So ah, just have a look. Yeah, more people are just using fewer ETFs, so maybe that's changed. But yeah, if you're an ETF investor... You you might better use something like ShareSite or Nevexa, I think is the other one. Yeah, because uh, the ATO wants to know all of this information. Mm, so when you sell something, the more accurate records you kept when you bought that thing to begin with, the easier it is to report to the ATO uh, because you may have capital gains or capital losses depending on how things went. Yep. Uh, you also, if you received a dividend, you have income to declare. So you're going to get lots of emails and letters. Hopefully you can opt into the email by going into the share registry, but just keep track of these records. Have a folder in your email where you just drag or auto forward anything from an ETF provider, a share provider, your registry into one spot. So you make it easy for yourself at tax time because it can become a bit of a headache at the end of the financial year. Oh yeah, it is. Um, But it's important. So just a little bit of time as you go is probably the best way to do it. But Kate, let's just recap what we've got so far. So we've got through six through 10, we've got uh, assuming every asset always goes up. We've got looking too often at your performance. People look at it daily, which is scary. Get rich quick schemes. Uh, please just remember, just cut the quick out and just get rich. It's much easier. Uh, getting in, uh, Giving in too soon, rather, or changing your strategy too frequently based on short-term results. Again, looking at that short-term and making your decisions. And number 10 is investing without keeping records. Like any records is mm. a bit of a nightmare at tax time. Even if you just record the buy price, what you bought, if you do your journaling and you have your investment strategy, have a way in your investment strategy or your journal to write down what you're investing in and why, but also the price that you paid. Um, There are tools like ShareSite, Nevexa, Google Sheets, those types of things that you can use. And your brokerage account often has some functionality, like Comsec has a bit of functionality there. Um, So you can use those tools as well. Just double check them. Yeah. And I think the overarching thread through all 10 of these mistakes that we've mentioned in both parts of the episode is just the biggest mistake of not actually starting on this journey because you can't actually make any of these mistakes if you don't get yeah. started in the first place. You There's well, no yeah. performance in your portfolio to look at if you don't actually make an investment. If you don't invest, you're not going to have a plan. You're not going to get sucked into the hype. But the thing is, if you don't get started, you're never going to give yourself the opportunity to build wealth. And whichever way you choose to invest – when you start, you might start with micro-investing. Mm. You might go straight to a financial advisor and get a plan set up. You, it might be touching base with your super fund and finding out where your money's invested. But the important thing is you need to start. Yeah, absolutely you do. And that's where, that, actually, it's interesting because at the very start of our part one, we said like the biggest mistake is people not investing. Uh, and that is still the biggest mistake because from where I sit, the, the people that get wealthy are people that own businesses. Just look at the Forbes rich list. Some people say, yeah, it's because they bought property. It's like, well, they only could afford property because they bought a business or they invested in a business. But the reason people get wealthy is through businesses because businesses create the most value. And even if you own the index fund, the, the stat that I always come back to, if you own the whole market, so you don't own an individual company. You're still that, owning businesses. Yeah. And their profits go up on average 
typically between six and seven percent per year um, as a whole, not individually, but as a whole and on average. And that's basically what you're getting is you're getting that steady increase over time, which has been shown to do better than anything else. So um, stay the course, get invested. You're going to make mistakes and that is perfectly okay. Start small, get used to it, get used to the feeling of the volatility and um, the rest will take care of itself over the next few years. And if you're listening and you've never invested before, write down now one thing you're going to do to start that journey this week. It might be taking one of Mm. our free investing courses on RASC education, listening to a podcast about ETFs. It might be talking to a financial advisor. It might be talking to your partner about the fact that maybe in the future you guys could start investing. It might be sorting out your budget. Whatever it is, write down one thing that you're going to do this week to put you in the right direction to becoming an investor. Yep. I like it, Kate. That sounds great. Um, now it's just as good a time as any uh, to get started. So, well, Kate, this has been heaps of fun, a little two-part series, little mini-series. It's always a bit of fun. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.